Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning from Isaiah, the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. And if you're going to use uh, this text, it's found on page 518. Now, don't let this confuse you because it starts over in the New Testament with the numbering. So, I don't think you'll get to 500 in the New Testament, but um, anyway, you want to be sure you're in the Old Testament. About the middle, uh, 518 is the page. And in the second column, beginning this morning with verse 19. I want to talk to you this morning about walking in darkness and the dawning of the light of the world. Walking in darkness and the dawning of the light of the world. Looking at Isaiah chapter 8, right toward the end, beginning in verse 19. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be driven away into darkness. And so Isaiah is giving us a word about the nature of Judah and of Israel at this time. And in Judah, King Uzziah, as I have mentioned in time past, has been on the throne. And under his rather lengthy uh, kingdom, he has uh, led the land into great prosperity. And they have come to enjoy a a lot of the finery of life. Uh, They have done well economically, and and they've been in good shape. But he has passed from the scene. And we have gone through another king and finally come to Ahaz. And Ahaz is not exactly cut of the same thread. He is of David's line. But he is self-centered, arrogant, proud, and wicked in all of his behavior. And now the specter of war looms over Judah. And things have turned rather dark. And as a consequence of that, Isaiah, uh, God speaking through Isaiah says, You have turned... Uh, to mediums and spiritists. In other words, they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. They have uh, turned to the dead, those who bring up the spirits of the dead. They've turned to the dead in the interest of getting answers for the living. And as a consequence, they're walking in darkness. You know, 
throughout history, this kind of sequence has repeated itself. And we find, I think, our own nation headed into that time. Uh, we have certainly enjoyed prosperity. We still do enjoy prosperity. We have a great deal uh, of blessing, and uh, we have uh, gotten used to uh, having pretty much what we want. Uh, if we can't afford it, we have uh, plastic credit cards that uh, will get it for us, the easy pay way, so to speak, if you don't mind paying for it two or three times. And um, you can pretty well have whatever you want. And we live in that kind of time. But also we live in a time when sabers are rattling. When we are facing the threat of war. When there is trouble on every front. Uh, we're facing problems uh, that have been exported from the Middle East against those who hate Israel and, and hate the United States. We're also facing trouble from across the way in North Korea. We're facing difficulties that threaten the security and the safety of the whole world. And we're living in that time when we really don't know what the future is going to bring. And people are living, on the one hand, in the abundance that they have uh, become accustomed to living in, but on the other hand, they are living in a time of dread when they don't know what is coming next. There's a certain hedonism that prevails in Western culture, not just the United States, but all of Europe and, and all throughout uh, this part of the globe, that um, kind of has that old uh, saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And I can remember going back to days when I was in college, and there were many days, and this has been a while ago, and there were many days when I wondered, what am I going through all of this work for? Why am I wasting my time in the classroom? I need to be out doing something because time is short. Uh, I can remember having very clear thoughts that I was not going to live to see 30, that I was going to see Jesus return, uh, or I was going to find myself in uh, terrible straits uh, toward the end of the age. And, and so it was hard for me sometimes to focus because I felt like I was uh, wasting time and, and valuable energy uh, giving myself to study and preparation at, when I wondered often, prepared for what? Uh, what if Jesus comes before I even graduate? Uh, those, were, those were my thoughts. Uh, but today, uh, even more so than ever, young people uh, struggle with these kinds of thoughts. Uh, it takes a lot of time and work and effort to uh, accomplish a degree that trains you to be uh, capable in, in the fields that we have today of technology and medical advance and all of those kinds of things. It takes a lot of effort and energy to develop that ability. 
And a lot of young people wonder, is it worth it? Are we even going to be around to enjoy it? And I'm not talking about believers necessarily. I'm talking about uh, across the world. Uh, young people in the West wonder, is there, is there any future for me? Is there anything that makes all of this training and preparation worthwhile? And so there's an alter, alternation between uh, time of blessing and between hedonism. And hedonism says, I may as well live it up now. I may as well not waste my time. I, I may as well uh, enjoy whatever it is that I want that makes me feel good rather than spend my time and energy trying to prepare for a future that may never come. And the prevalent attitude that uh, occupies the minds and hearts of people is we need to find answers wherever we can find them. This is what gives some of the background to the relativism that says your truth and my truth may be different, but we have our own truth. <laughs> Whatever we believe uh, is going to give us uh, answers, then that's what gives us answers. Nothing could be further from the truth. Truth is not a personal impression. It is black and white. It is absolutely uh, clear, with a clear line of demarcation between that which is right and that which is in error. And that's what Isaiah says when he says to the law and to the testimony. He's saying if you want answers, you have to go to this book. You have to go to the law of God. You have to go to the testimony of the faith of Israel and, and the faith in Jesus Christ expressed in the New Covenant, you have to go here for truth. This is where it's found. It's not found in mediums and spirits and spiritists and uh, seances and other religions or the laboratory or other kinds of means of seeking information. It is found in this book. And all truth ultimately comes under its authority. Do you want to know the truth? It's found in the pages of this book. But the problem is that people who walk in darkness read the book and it makes no sense. It doesn't jive with their ideas. And so they read the book, if they do, and they say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't uh, compute with my understanding. Uh, what do you mean if you want to get ahead and, and be number one, you go last? Who ever heard of such a thing? Well, what do you mean if, if you want to be wealthy, you give away what you have uh, and you live for God? How does that make you wealthy? And, and on and on the ideas go that as they read the law and the testimony, it makes even less and less sense. And so the people wander in darkness. It's a spiritual darkness. It's a moral darkness. It's an intellectual darkness. 
You know what it's like to, you've heard me say this before, but uh, it's very vivid because I'm up at least once a night. Uh, it's very vivid to me that when you wander around in the darkness, I don't turn lights on. Uh, and so uh, if someone has put something where it wasn't before, I'm in trouble <laughs> because my mind knows where things are supposed to be. And if it's not there, I stumble over it. Uh, when you're in the darkness, you don't see clearly. Uh, you miss objects. You miss the obvious. If you just turned on a light, things would be clear to you, but we don't. Uh, and so this intellectual darkness is stumbling around looking for answers where they do not exist. Trying to apply methods where they don't fit. You cannot discover God in a test tube unless you happen to know God when you start out. If you know God, He's everywhere. You can't miss Him. But if you don't know Him, you have no idea what's in front of you. And so people walk about in darkness that is spiritual, moral, and intellectual. But... Isaiah says, God speaking through the prophet, but there will be no more gloom, verse chapter 9, verse 1, for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt under his curse. But later on he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Why? For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Isaiah says there's a time coming when all the weapons and accoutrements of war will be burned in the fire. When the swords will be uh, hammered into plowshares. An, a time of prosperity and a time of blessing. There's coming a time when all of this is going to change. Paul writes in one of his letters that men will say peace, peace, when there is no peace. But there is a time coming when peace will come. There is a time coming when God will bring His blessing anew and afresh and in the darkness, a light will begin to shine. A light that will dispel war. 
a light that will dispel uh, the confusion and the chaos of a world without leadership. For the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then Isaiah gives us his name. What is his name? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I want to park there just for a moment. Because, first of all, Isaiah is saying that we're going to be given a child. I want us to recognize that the the reign of promise and peace that God gives to us begins with the birth of a child. Edward J. Young says we err when we isolate this event to the millennial reign of Christ and bracket it within that thousand year period. Because what he offers us begins with his birth. And from the time of his birth, there is something available to the people of God that has not been seen before. And Isaiah said this is what he will be called. Wonderful Counselor. Now, Isaiah uses a form that doesn't translate into English because it says his name will be called a wonder counselor. A wonder of counseling. The word wonder means something that causes us to step back in amazement because it is obviously beyond what human beings can effect or understand or comprehend. And in the Psalms, the word is used to go back to some of the events as the Israelites left the land of Egypt and God did amazing things like parting the Red Sea, like opening the rock and bringing forth water in the wilderness, like providing manna from heaven every day for their whole wandering, like Stacking up the Jordan River on one side and letting them pass through into the promised land on dry ground. It's a word that would be used of creation. When God himself said, let there be light and there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness and the light he called day and the darkness he called night and the story unfolds of how God made the world and shaped the universe. It's the kind of thing that would be said of Jesus when he stood in the bow of the boat in the midst of a violent storm at sea and said, Peace be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed his command. And suddenly, these experienced fishermen And the other disciples found themselves on placid waters, quiet seas, and 
windless sky. And they were amazed and said, what kind of person is this that even the wind and waves obey him? It is the kind of wonder as Jesus stops a funeral procession and a mother who has already lost her husband and has only one son and her whole hope and her whole future rest in that son who has died and he is on the bier in the funeral procession. And Jesus calls a halt and he reaches out and takes the young man's hand and raises him to life again. Who is this that raises the dead? Who is this that gives sight to the blind? Who is this that makes the lame to walk? Who is this that turns the water into wine? Who is this person that causes such wonder? This wonder of a counselor is who this child is. He will be called wonder of counseling. Do you lack wisdom? Do any of you not know what to do next? The scripture says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let that one ask of God who gives to all liberally and never chastises us for our need. The one who is the one with all the answers, the one who amazes us with his insight. I thought about this, and then I thought maybe you wouldn't like it. Sometimes people come to me for counseling and We sit down and we have a conversation, and I try to listen to the Holy Spirit as He gives me insight and understanding into the difficulties that this individual may be suffering. And together we pray and seek for answers, but how would you like to go to a counselor that knows your very thoughts, that knows what you're really supposed to be? that knows who you really are down in the depths of your being, that knows precisely what you were made for and what will give you the greatest joy and what will be the answer to all of your need. Maybe you wouldn't want a counselor like that. Maybe you wouldn't want your thoughts revealed. But what if you had a counselor that loved you with an everlasting love and that received you with open arms, and you knew that this counselor was for you without reservation and was more than willing to give you the wisdom and the guidance and the answers that you needed. Wouldn't that be a wonder? There are no human counselors, however spiritually minded, that can offer that kind of counsel, except this wonder of a counselor. And he is also 
the mighty God. The Hebrew here uses a, a term for God that can only that only ever refers to deity in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the word El Gibor, and it means God my hero, basically. <laughs> he is a mighty God. But if you look in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 21, if you have any doubt, just move down the page a little or over the page, wherever it is in your Bible. In Hebrews 10.21, the scripture says, A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. To whom does this refer? If none other than our God, the maker of heaven and earth. He is a wonderful counselor and he is the mighty, the heroic God. There's nothing he can't do. It's one thing to come to someone who has answers, but who says, now go and put this into practice. Go and apply this wisdom. And you look at the circumstances and situation and you say, but how do I do that? I don't have the power to make that happen. I cannot affect this outcome. But here is the one who is the mighty God. There's nothing he can't do. When he appeared to uh, Abram in the uh, wilderness and Sarah was inside the tent listening and he said to Abram, by this time next year you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughed inside the tent. But tents don't have thick walls, you know. And uh, this uh, person who happened to be the person of Jesus Christ in an Old Testament appearance uh, said, why did you laugh? And Sarah comes to the door of the tent and says, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh, but you did. <laughs> I heard you laugh. And he says, by this time next year, you will have a son is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? How shall I bear a son? I have never known a man, says Mary, in that intimate sexual way. I have, I'm a virgin. How can I bear a son? Nothing shall be impossible with God. And so, God can do anything. There's nothing He can't do. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God. He is the Eternal Father. And by the way, before I move away from that just for a moment, the term that is used of this child, the Messiah in this passage, the mighty God, is a term that ascribes to Him full deity. Our God is a triune God. Deuteronomy gives us this formula for the Lord our God is one. And then it's Elohim, 
which is a plural form. The Lord our God is one, may I say, God's. He is God in three persons. But that there be no mistake about His true nature, here in Isaiah chapter 9, He is God Almighty. And there's no question about how that translates or what that means. He is not a God. He is not a demic God. He is not a higher human power, but beneath the deity of the Lord God Almighty. He is God. And Isaiah leaves us with no question. He is the eternal Father. How is it that the Son is the eternal Father? Some of you, when you think of your fathers, do not have good memories. And please let me say to you who have poor memories, abusive memories, and it is hard for you to think of God in terms of fatherhood because of the earthly father that you've had. I am not without empathy for that. And I understand the sadness and the association that is familiarized in that way. When I say I understand, I, I, I don't mean that I'm a woman who was abused, obviously, but abuse occurs in all quadrants, really, all corners. But that's because people are fallen. And if you don't have good memories, it's because your father was fallen very far, very sinful. And I'm deeply sorry for that. But a good father, a truly good father, has the interest of their children at heart. They love them in the deepest godlike way of love. They provide for them. They are a refuge for them in times of trouble. They are a fountain of wisdom and knowledge. They oversee their lives in a way that keeps them safe to the best of their ability and protects them. And in all of these ways, a good father gives his life for his children in self-denial and in kindness and they're approachable. I said something the other day, and this is not in any way to uh, reflect negatively on my wife, who was a good mother. But I happen to be the one with medical training 
and my wife was not crazy about the sight of blood. And so uh, when our children got hurt, as they did from time to time, when they were quite small, they learned to run to me for getting patched up. That's a little out of order, I suppose, and unusual. Most children run to their mother, but uh, Rowena was more than willing to help, but I had the training to help, and so uh, children figure that out. <laughs> so, so they would run to me. I said that the other day to, to Jonathan, and he was a little surprised. He said, really? I said, yeah, that's how it worked, you know. Uh, if you were bleeding, you were looking for Dad. Um, and that's just the way that it was. And a good father is approachable when you're wounded. They're the one that provides the care and the covering and the healing and whatever it takes. Jesus revealed his nature as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd that cares for the sheep. And in the nature of David, he leads me beside green pastures and still waters. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil. He leads me in the valley of the shadow of death, and I will not be afraid, because His staff is there to rescue me if I slip from the path, and the rod is there to beat off the wolf if I'm under attack. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. And my sheep know my name, and they know my voice, and they come to me. Our Lord Jesus here is not being represented as God the Father, but He is being represented as the Good Shepherd, the Everlasting Father. He will always have this nature toward His loved ones. You will always be able to go to Him for help. He will always provide and care for you. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the door of the sheepfold. He, he is the one who supplies and, and meets you at every turn. He is the everlasting Father to you and to me. Because that's His nature. And I take you back to the, to the words that I said at the beginning of this verse that this is true of this child that is born. This reign of wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace began at His birth. It is still unfolding, but what did Jesus say when He came announcing the good news? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now available to you. You don't have to wait for some millennium. You can have it today. The kingdom of God is accessible. It's within your reach. 
It's available to you now. And he is the Prince of Peace. What is it that really brings peace? Well, first of all, we have to have peace with God. There has to be taken away the enmity, the barrier between ourselves and God, which is sin. And as that sin is dealt with and we are cleansed and forgiven, this child who was born will remove from us the enmity and animosity between us and God and assuage His anger that He might embrace us in love. And also in removing from us the inclination towards sinning, as He changes and transforms our heart, we will love one another. We will care for one another. War makes no sense. My father-in-law, who recently went into the Lord's presence, was having a conversation with me one day, and on one of those rare occasions when he was willing to talk about the horrors of World War II as he served aboard the Missouri in the Pacific Theater. And the constant vigilance that was required as the sea battles raged. He said, war is the most awful thing there can be. Except something can be even worse when evil men come to power and rule. And so, from his perspective, war was a necessity because of the exceeding sinfulness of wicked people who wanted to rule the world with a hand of evil. I was thinking as I was talking about neurological studies last night, and perhaps I will create images you don't want in your mind, but but I was thinking about how osteotomes were discovered. And it has long been a debate, or at least it was in times past, about the morality of even accessing the knowledge. An osteotome, a myotome, or a dermatome is a patch of skin or a bit of muscle or a part of bone that receives its nerve supply from a particular spinal nerve. So that as the nerves branch off from your spinal column, they go to specific places in your body. And in order to discover the osteotomes, the portion of bone that nerves innervated, human subjects were strapped down and sharp needles were poked into their bones. And then they rolled them over and they would cut a spinal nerve and sever it. And then they would go through the practice again until they found the spot that did not elicit pain. And they would mark that off. Oh, that goes to L3 on the right. And so person by person and test by test, they mapped the human body. 
that was done in Nazi Germany to the Jews in their horrible medical research, so-called, where human subjects had no value and they fully planned to exterminate them when they were done with the testing. And yet they went through horrible pain without it. What evil the heart of man can conceive is beyond comprehension. And they want to rule. Not just a Hitler, but many Hitlers through the ages. They want to rule. And they want to take us to a place where evil reigns and righteousness is suppressed. How will there ever be peace when people like that exist? Jesus will take care of it. Jesus will bring the reign of peace. He will take away the animosity and the sin that separates people from people, culture from culture, language from language. And he will bring his joy and his presence throughout all the world. He is the prince of peace. An amazing, amazing king for us. For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And you will call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end of the government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, when the shepherds came that night, because the angels had announced to them the birth of Messiah. Verse 15 of Luke chapter 2 says, And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things. There's that word again. They wondered at these things. Which were told them by the shepherd, but Mary treasured them up in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told to them. What did the sight of the child cause in the shepherds? Wonder and amazement as they went back glorifying and praising God. This is the one about whom Isaiah spoke. He has come. He is Messiah. He is bringing to us deliverance and 
we beheld him in a manger. And we were stirred to worship. Oh, I know when our children are born, we're adoring. But when this child was born, they sang glory to God in the highest. Praise his holy name. Glory to his name. This is a wonder in our sight. John, in his characteristic introduction that is a bit mystical, says, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might point to the light, bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world brings light to every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him. But the people did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be called the children of God. One day there is certainly coming a reign of peace and righteousness that all the world will know. But you don't have to wait till then. You don't have to wait until then to have peace in your heart. You don't have to wait until then to approach this wonderful counselor. You don't have to wait for the millennial kingdom, the return of Christ, to experience the mighty God. You don't have to wait to know a loving Father who is everlasting in His nature. To as many as received Him right now, this moment, Then, in John's day, even today, to them He will give the right to be the children of God, even to the ones that believe on His name. Are you looking for hope and answers in all the wrong places? Do you think it's some Christmas gift that's going to satisfy your heart? Do you think that world peace today 
for a moment would give you some purpose? Do you think that living for the pleasure of the moment will satisfy your soul? There is nothing that will meet the deepest longing of your heart like Jesus Christ today. For unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. He is the one who can be your wonderful counselor. Mighty God to you, a good everlasting father, and a prince of peace in your heart by restoring fellowship with God and bringing you the love of his own nature and character to your human spirit. He can forgive your sin. He can heal your broken spirit and bring it to life again. He can restore your soul. Have you believed his name? Have you trusted him? Have you put your hope in him? It is available to you right now, today. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the promise that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you that he is the ever-present one who is available even this moment to bring us into his kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes and hearts to see and believe. And if there's anyone here this morning who has never made that decision to turn from all their false pursuits and their sinful ways and come to you, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness and cleansing and hope, will you today speak to their heart, open their eyes, give them eyes to see, that they might behold in amazement you, Lord Jesus, born of a virgin, born in a cattle stall, a sheepfold, laid in a manger, walked among us, and we beheld your glory, glory as of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.